You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer. Another busy week at the legislature in North Carolina politics. We've got lots to talk about on this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening to us this week. Uh, we're going to start off uh, with the guy who's uh, basically uh, starring in the, the remake of the legislature's uh, edition of the movie Groundhog Day, Craig Jarvis, <laughs> who has uh, been covering another round of the uh, coal ash controversy uh, down at the legislative building, um, which uh, seems a lot like uh, the same process we went through, what, one, two years ago? Exactly, yeah. I'm covered in coal ashes with the way I feel. Can't seem to step out of it. Um, Well, things heated up again this week. A bill came out of the House that would do two things. One, provide water, a permanent alternate supply of usually municipal water to people who have private drinking wells around the Duke's uh, coal ash ponds. And uh, so that's, you know, everybody thinks that's a good idea. But the other thing that it does is reconstitutes the Coal Ash Management Commission, which is basically throwing down the gauntlet to the governor because the governor sued when they created this commission a couple years ago. He won the case in January and he disbanded the commission. So what's happened is the House, who really some members of the House want to have a layer of oversight over the McCrory administration on coal ash. And so they uh, tried to address the Supreme Court issues, which mainly had to do with the governor having control over an executive branch function. Uh, So they made some concessions. They gave the governor most of the appointments. They left it in, in, in one of his cabinet agencies. Uh, but that's not good enough uh, for the governor. Bob, Bob Stevens, the governor's legal counsel, showed up at a committee meeting and said that what the Supreme Court said is that governor needed three things. He has to be able to appoint members without confirmation powers by the legislature. He has to be able to supervise them, and he has to be able to remove them at will. So uh, they're saying that this new plan accomplishes none of those things uh, and you know, is, is another, an unneeded layer of bureaucracy. And... Um, so basically what's happened is the governor said, I'm, I'm going to veto this bill. There's no doubt about that, which is expected to pass the Senate next week. And uh, this could end up in court that he'll sue again if he has to. So that's what happened this week in Coal Ash. So does the <clears throat> legislature feel like they've got a little bit of an upper hand and they've put this drinking water thing in there and then that's going to force the governor to uh, effectively veto the let's give the coal ash people clean drinking water parts. Yeah, that would certainly be the effect, the political effect of that. I mean, it was a very, it was Chuck McGrady from Hendersonville, Republican, who put together this bill and he, he seemed to concoct a or construct kind of an interesting coalition of he's got duke energy he's got pricey harrison one of the the main environmental advocate i'd say in the in the in the house and he's got um the chamber of commerce the state chamber they're all behind this bill which gives some um you know free water clean water everybody's in favor of that but it just gets sticky afterwards so uh you know, it's just not clear what's going to happen. But on the other hand, it's a very interesting legal issue for the people involved. It's this separation of powers argument that the courts are going to have to figure out. And, um, and, you know, it's important. It's more than just the personalities involved. Although the environment, the environmental organizations are saying it's just ego, uh, just the governor and, and legislative leaders kind of bumping up against each other. Yeah, so the environmental groups aren't really thrilled with this bill and they're not really no. thrilled with the governor's position either. No, for the most part, that's that's right. 
Yeah, so the uh, it, it seems interesting to me the the level at which the governor's people have been lobbying against this. There was the meeting. Uh, I guess you've been on the lookout for this coal ash bill to surface for a week or so, and it finally did on, on relatively short notice, but enough notice for uh, the governor's uh, Department of Environmental Quality team to, to get right down to the legislature and try to lobby the Republicans in caucus. Yeah, that's right. Was that Tuesday? That yeah, it was fairly early in the week, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because somebody got the word all of a sudden because the governor's, uh, the, well, the environmental staff people and the governor's office rushed down to the legislative building as they both sides broke to have a have caucus meetings. They were outside the Republican caucus meeting, handing out letters from the governor, the governor's attorney, and from uh, De- Department of Environmental Quality saying, "Don't do this." Um, so they they were ramped. They responded pretty quickly and. Uh, it had been languishing for a while. Chuck McGrady told me he had a very simple, straightforward bill from the beginning of this year to reconstitute the Coal Ash Commission, and that's all. And he had hoped to even int- introduce that at, and, and have it taken up during the special session, but it didn't happen. So uh, what happened is last week the Department of Environmental Quality came out with their rankings for all the coal sites, how soon they have to be closed and cleaned up. And McGrady said that changed the whole dynamic. They had to they had to move quickly and come up, come put something forward that a lot of people would agree with. Yeah, so uh, it doesn't seem like the legislature is all that interested in acquiescing to the they're governors. Not. No, they're going to, they're deal, they're right now, they're dealing, the Senate's dealing with a little technical correction that came up in the House that the House discovered after the vote. Uh, and, and Tom Apodaca says that it's going to be uh, up for vote on Tuesday. And then uh, I imagine the governor will veto it by the end of the week. Yeah. I mean, is this a, uh, do you think they're going to have enough to override it? I mean, it's got to be a certain majority. But they do. Uh, they, they do have enough to override it. And yeah. Because I guess enough Democrats are behind it that they're right. not really worried about. Right. I mean, does the governor have any friends in the Republicans over there that where they're, they're going to vote against this just to say he, we're on Team Pat? He, he, he probably will. He had a fair number of Republicans that voted against it in the House, although I'm not sure on what grounds. There were a variety of, of interests. Uh, I, I, I haven't really sorted that out yet. But, uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's, uh, I think it's just going to be a repeat of 2014 all over again, and uh, it'll end, back, end up back in court. And written into the bill is a backup provision. If that happens, if this passes and is vetoed, and the governor goes to court. In the meantime, it's not going to just come to a halt because they're trying to get these some relief to these people and clean up coal ash. In the meantime, all of this regulation would go to the um, uh, Environmental Management Commission, and they would magically take over everything And um, if this thing gets hung up in the courts. But that's uh, one tactic. I'm not sure if that flies either. Yeah. Do you see this as a larger issue of the governor not really having much sway at the legislature? Is it just seems like this this one issue that the two sides really get hung up on who has the power to do what? No, I think it's part of a pattern. I mean, he often he likes to say he'll step on uh, Republican toes as well as Democratic toes. And I'm sure that's what he'll say in in this case, because that is what he's doing. Um, but, uh, y- you know, he, he he hasn't been able to swing uh, a majority of House Republicans behind him. Uh, which, uh, you know, is, is kind of a lack, uh, is kind of a shortcoming in his getting what he wants done. Yep. All right. Thanks, Craig. And uh, another interesting thing I covered at the legislature this week uh, that uh, didn't get quite as much attention, but I, I f- found it the most entertaining uh, 
bill that I came across was the uh, North Carolina South Carolina border war, which uh, I was uh, had seen in the news a couple years back, but had not been aware that it had gone all the way back to 1995 was when the border commission started surveying, trying to figure out exactly where the line is, uh, which properties are in which state, uh, and now we're finally at a point uh, where uh, the North Carolina legislature is passing a bill to uh, handle all the details of of how those properties that are changing sides will will uh, be handled, um, and then the South Carolina legislature has to do the same thing. Uh, so the the most interesting part of this to me is this uh, gas station that's caught in the middle. Uh, anytime you drive to from North Carolina to South Carolina, as soon as you get over the border, the first exit on the highway is always uh, usually a really big tacky fireworks stand um, and then a sign for uh, gas prices that are probably like 30 or 40 cents cheaper than what you had at the previous exit in North Carolina. So a lot of people have made this their business model, including this gas station that is um, – We've just got an address in Clover, South Carolina. It's technically in in York County, but uh, if this bill passes come January one, it's going to be in Gaston County, North Carolina, which uh, is a is a big problem because one, they'd have to charge the higher gas prices. Uh, they'd have to give up on the the more exciting fireworks that they get to sell in South Carolina. And they'd have to uh, stop selling beer and wine because uh, Gaston County, oddly enough, is one of those dry counties where you have to be in city limits in order to be able to, to sell alcohol in a store. So um, part of their business model is that if you live near the border and you're in this rural area of Gaston County, you just drive across to the store, get your beer, then drive back into North Carolina. Um, so they were worried they're going to lose all that. So now they're going to have this, uh, if this bill passes, this sort of weird exemption where uh, they'll technically be in North Carolina, but they'll charge uh, South South Carolina gas sales tax through some sort of weird uh, remittance system where they get a, a special tax category in state law that only applies to this one gas station. They'll be allowed to sell fireworks. They'll be allowed to sell booze. Um, and that lasts as long as this um, property stays in with the same owner. Uh, unfortunately, if it's sold to a different owner, then all that goes away. It's a North Carolina gas station. And the owner of the gas station basically told me um, that much kills his resale value. He's not going to be able to, to sell that business if he decides to get out of the gas and fireworks business at some point. Uh, and then there are a number, a number of homes as well that move in from South Carolina to North Carolina or vice versa. They would get uh, continued access to in-state tuition and their local schools um, as long as uh, their, I guess their kids right now are, are still around, or in, at least until they turn 21, um, or sell their houses again, and then it goes one way or other. But it's it's got to be pretty strange to uh, be in one of those houses, just imagining that you're, you've owned a house in South Carolina for 10 years, and you wake up the next morning on New Year's Day, and suddenly you're North Carolina residents. And I almost kind of wonder what that does to your, your sense of identity and geographical awareness when when that sort of stuff changes i don't think anyone ever expects that you uh, might uh, you might know the answer to this i think it was senator ford raised the question that went unanswered in the senate yesterday does this bill actually move charlotte into south carolina <laughs> there's a hope among some you'd, you'd you would not put it past the uh, the republican to try to get charlotte out because that would solve the whole hb2 issue in fact yes. they could probably they could repeal hb2 if they just got rid of charlotte and didn't have to worry about the the charlotte we, ordinance we may have just come up with a solution they don't need that task force yeah, and you know, I'm sure South Carolina would appreciate the tax base that Charlotte offers. So you know, the great state of Mecklenburg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I and mean, Mecklenburg would like to be separate anyway. So um, we'll, we love we love the Queen City. Yeah. Well, I, I could propose a trade. We give South Carolina Charlotte. But South Carolina lets us draw the border by the coast all the way down to Charleston. So we get more beaches and we get the city of Charleston, which is a pretty nice place. Yeah, so, you know, if I were making up the rules, then maybe that I would, uh, would try a more heating negotiations than just a, a few houses and a few businesses that are, are right on the line.
Yeah, I was going to say, this is Dan Boylan from The Insider calling. Uh, it's, it is truly fascinating that in this world where borders generally mean weapons, you know, this, we could be in Russia and the Georgian border with Abkhazia and lots of weapons that in North Carolina thus far, this is done fully through legislative activity. Yeah, it's, it's a purely peaceful negotiations. Mm. No one, as far as I know, I mean, they might have brought their guns to the, the meetings, but they, they met in these conference rooms in Rock Hill, South Carolina, with legislators from both states trying to figure out essentially this game of Monopoly. Like, well, if we move this house down here, then you guys get this house. Um, but yeah, Which borders is funny, are normally not right. that way. As much bravado as people have with guns, they don't actually pull them out in this yeah. country when it comes to a border war. Yeah. Whereas most of the rest of the world People pull them out immediately. Yeah. <laughs> that was my point. Simple, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dan. And uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk a little about the uh, teacher pay debate that uh, is going on, as well as some uh, changes to uh, proposed changes to the uh, college tuition system in North Carolina. Stay with us. In 50 feet, turn left. Why are you driving so slowly? After a few drinks, I'm taking it slow. Well, you're not fooling the cop behind you. What? Get ready to pay in point one miles. <sighs> Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to this week's edition of Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer with your weekly look at politics and state government in North Carolina. And we're going to turn next to the uh, latest developments in the uh, the budget and uh, teacher-employee pay uh, debate in North Carolina that uh, took place this week. Uh, Pat Gannon of The Insider is joining me. Uh, and I guess the big highlight this week was the Senate pay plan for teachers sort of being released. Uh, we had a, a big press conference the other day uh, with Senate Leader Phil Berger, uh, who uh, offered some highlights of his teacher pay plan, but uh, not all that many details. Tell us a little about uh, what what we saw and what we didn't see. Yeah, well, we found out that the Senate um, wants to raise teacher pay uh, uh, substantially more than the House budget would and more than the governor's budget uh, would have, um, bringing it to, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't really cover this story, although I attended the press conference, um, to $55,000 average pay for teachers, including local supplements, after two years. Um, and that is significantly more than the house would do, um, and, and the governor. And we kind of knew going in, you know, for, for people that have covered the legislature for a while, that this was going to be one of those times when, when the headline was going to say Senate wants to raise teacher pay to $55,000 a year, which of course looks great. What we knew we also probably wouldn't get are the details of how they're going to pay for it. Um, what, is in the House budget in terms of two, you know, two percent across the board raises for the other state employees, one point six percent cost of living adjustments for retirees. We don't know whether the Senate plan is going to include those things. We also don't know what other education-related policies are going to come along with with that increase in pay. And the NCAE, the North Carolina Association of Educators, sent out a, an email shortly after. Um, 
uh, Berger's press conference, uh, being very skeptical of of what uh, truly will will be in the House or in the Senate budget as it pertains to teacher pay. They say clearly the devil is going to be in the details in this proposal, and we haven't seen them. Um, I think four or five different reporters in the press conference asked uh, in different ways to try to get some um, uh, some details on how they're going to pay for all this extra money for teachers, who's going to be the loser. Obviously, if you're paying all this money to teachers, there's money somewhere in the budget that's not going to go to somebody else um, that, you know, probably the house, the house might think deserve it more. Um, so um, the NCA just was very skeptical about it. Um, and, you know, we'll see where it goes. We, I guess the, the full Senate budget's going to come out on Tuesday, so we'll see more details then. But then, you know, probably within a day or two, they'll vote it out and, and then it'll go into conference with the House. So um, there probably won't be that much time for um, headlines that don't look uh, as favorable to Senate Republicans um, yeah. as, as some might like. Yeah, and I, you know, they definitely know what they're doing in the the Senate. And this was a press conference that was advertised about three hours before it happened. It was a ten fifteen a.m. Uh, event advertised at uh, and announced to reporters at seven thirty. So I was seeing as I was waking up and like, oh, we've got to get somebody down there and make sure we get that, which I suspect was the case for a lot of the TV stations. So I, I kind of imagine that there are all these like novice TV reporters who don't necessarily cover the legislature a lot, and they're just getting the soundbite, getting that out there. Um, and the the folks in the Senate leadership uh, are, are ready to see that headline. And in fact, the, so much so that uh, I think uh, Lynn Bonner was taking care of our story. Um, and it, it wasn't online at noon and we started getting emails from the the senate uh leader's office uh folks saying uh, are you guys writing the story we haven't haven't seen it online yet so uh, i'm sure they were thrilled when the story ended up on uh 4a of the paper kind of buried at the bottom of the page because there wasn't much meat to the story we couldn't really write a big front page story because we didn't have the details to um put behind it and explain to folks yeah i noticed um on twitter i was just scrolling through twitter later that afternoon and noticed a tv station from i, I believe in southern virginia somewhere that had a story that looked like they had um just rewritten the press release uh from the senate so at, you know even up in virginia they were getting these headlines like you know senate republicans you know want this huge uh uh increase in pay for teachers so in, in a lot of ways they probably got what they wanted uh and what they saw in terms of positive headlines for their plan which um then they can use to uh to try to convince their house counterparts that this is the best the best uh, route to take. It's also, you know, a lot of these times with budget budget things, they may they may be going a lot farther than they know they're going to get, um, but it gives them a bargaining chip um, to get a little bit more, maybe for teachers, and a little bit less somewhere else that the house might want um, going into the negotiation. So yeah. we'll see how it all shakes. And out. what's interesting to me was from the the numbers I saw, it looked like the 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 bigger section of the raise was set to take effect in the school year 2017-2018, which is not really what this budget addresses. This budget is simply to handle uh, adjustments to spending for the second year of this two-year period. So it's just the 2016-2017 fiscal year. So they can make promises further out that we plan to do more next year, but they're not going to formally do that this year. And next year, the revenue picture could be different. The the pressures could be different. There's there's no guarantee uh, of that happening. We have an election between now and then for one. Um, yeah, so that's, it's, a, it's that's a very good point. Hard to promise 2017, 2018 on a one-year budget cycle. Hey, Colin, this is Dan. We're talking about the press conference and the 
one would say how well planned it was, how well executed it was as well, that you get your story out there at 7.30 and you've got uh, your social media traction already before the – as your TV guys come in and sit and set up, that put the camera on the sticks, they already know what their headline is going to be. Um, there was a light moment, kind of light, but it was also two heavyweights sparring. As after Pat had asked his question and Lynn had asked her questions, we were trying to wrestle more details from Senate President Berger about how this was going to be paid. Uh, Mark Binker from WARAL, which, you know, WARAL is, is it's a joy when you step back and realize it's still family owned and that it really is not one of these cookie cutter, cheesy local TV stations that have no sort of. Yeah, I mean, they're the one TV station that has. Some dedicated people toss. at the right. legislature they're, every they've day. They've got dedicated people yeah. there. They hosted the debate last week. I mean, they're really involved in a, in a very good way. So Binker is a heavyweight there in the in the General Assembly press corps. He's got this big head. And he's <laughs> funny and he's fast and he writes great stuff, right? Yeah. So he's like he's out of central casting for your fantastic correspondent. There he is in the front row and his hair's sort of blow dried and he's ready to pounce. And there's Phil Berger, who is a smooth character, right? <laughs> he is a smooth character. Yeah, and he's, I think he's a very unflappable politician. He's a very think. unflappable politician. And some of these guys get into politics because of ego. But I feel like with him, it's because of ideas. And he's like a behind-the-curtain man who after a while realized there were – why was I manipulating these clowns? I should <laughs> just step in front of the curtain and be smooth. So he gets up there, and he's not going to reveal any details – and Binker finally says, well, haven't we seen this movie before? You throw out a great headline, but then it's got to go over to your friends across the, the building here in the house and wrestle with it. And what's the raise really going to be for teachers in the state of North Carolina? We've seen this movie before. Berger pauses and says, and I've read your reviews before. <laughs> And it was a great light moment. Uh, yeah, but one of not the really light, but it was it was two guys throwing punches, like yeah. you know, and the sort of moments you don't see and, on you know, TV. But yeah, it was great. It, 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 unfortunately, it didn't make the final cut. Yeah, you know? and 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 those two have known each other for a long, long time. Uh, Mark used to cover. Mark Binker used to cover. Uh, state government for Greensboro, where um, yeah, you know, the area where their paper covers uh, Burgers District up right. in Rockingham County. Yeah, they've they've known each other for a long time. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the sort of legislative angle of things. Um, but one figure that we, we haven't heard as much from uh, as this uh, teacher pay tussling between the House and the Senate goes on is Governor Pat McCrory. And uh, joining us to uh, explain where the governor is on all this uh, is our uh, new summer intern on the state politics desk at the News and Observer, Brian Anderson, uh, joining us for that. Uh, he was at the governor's event this week where there was some talk of education. Brian, tell us a little about uh, what the governor had to say about uh, all this uh, teacher pay action. Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me. Happy to be here, and it's great to, to get started working here with the Dome. But I got to go to the event in Durham, uh, and it was the annual meeting for the North Carolina Business Committee for Education. Um, and Governor McCrory, he had more of an informal Q&A. He didn't really have anything super official. It was very casual, but uh, he spoke with the vice chairman of the board, uh, Albert Eckel, and one of the things that he had said was there's – general consensus he's starting to reach that it should be $50,000 a year for teachers and uh, in salary and $16,000 in terms of benefits. But still, if you look at that, it puts North, North Carolina remains one of the worst paid states in terms of teacher salaries. And according to the National Education, Education Association, 
they're about $10,000 less than the national average. So one of the, the major initiatives Governor McCrory has taken and, and particularly highlighted in this election cycle is education. We saw that with Connect NC bond. He's really trying to raise the issue before this election. But if you still look at it and compare it, North Carolina still ranks very low by comparison, but still he thinks there's general consensus around the $50,000 wage. But one of the more interesting parts of the meeting, for me at least, was his sort of suggestion that not all teachers deserve the same treatment. Uh, One student who was attending the event got to ask him a question and she asked him something along the lines of, I'm not a STEM major and a lot of focus has been placed in science and math. Is there going to be an opportunity cost to that where the other majors are fallen by the wayside for students and professors who teach those subjects? And he said something very interesting that it's not all the same. The emphasis has to be placed on science and math. Whether or not that's fair, he agrees that there has been disagreement and dispute over it. Uh, But that was one of the more interesting points. And he had a very funny quip where he said there's an excess of law professors and too many attorneys. So we need to swap them out and make sure we get more STEM related teachers encouraged and having promotions as well. One of the issues is teachers are limited in their abilities to rise. Yeah, it's all on sort of a year's end of the system scale. You you get a big raise after every five or 10 years you're in the system, but it's not as much merit-based as as a private sector job might be. Right. And most of the, in terms of responsibilities, it's mostly administrative if you want to bump up within the school system, if you're a teacher or if you're a professor. One of the things that he's advocating for is kind of a teacher lead program uh, where they're able to assume more responsibilities and get more pay. He doesn't think teachers within the same field should necessarily be making the same amount. They should be rewarded for having different responsibilities. But part of the issue that he has had is been trying to figure out a way to implement such a program. It's just been talked about for a couple of years now, but not much has really happened. Yeah, that's a politically tough thing to do for sure. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, Brian. Um, and uh, lastly, I just want to touch briefly on the uh, other uh, interesting education item of the week, which was the uh, Senate bill that's uh, aiming to cut tuition to $500 for several uh, state universities, including a lot of the uh, historically black uh, universities in the state. Um, and, and that's one that uh, has surprised me at the sort of initial outrage about it, the concern that if you lower tuition, lower fees, you may devalue education, lower rankings of schools, and and people will uh, see their schools suffer. But I've noticed uh, this week as this bill went through, the uh, level of opposition from Democrats seemed to uh, decrease a a fair amount as we went along. And uh, as as the bill cleared, uh, it was the Senate Appropriations Committee uh, the other day, uh, I, I didn't hear any no votes, at least uh, not terribly vocally out of any of the, the Democrats, including a lot of uh, uh, African-American Democrats, who uh, some of whom actually graduated from these schools. Uh, and I think in part that's because uh, uh, of a thing that, that Senator Tom Apodakis said that seemed to sort of undercut some of the arguments that this might um, cause these schools to, to suffer academically was that uh, one of the, the, I think the only like predominantly white school that's on this list to go to $500 tuition is Western Carolina University, which uh, Senator Apodakis 
points out is is his alma mater. It's where his wife went to school. It's where his kids went to school. And, and he says, you know, I'm not going to do something that's going to hurt the, the university that I love so much. Um, so if this is a good idea for, for my school, then, you know, presumably it will, will work for uh, other schools around the state that have similar enrollment issues. And Pat, did you want to jump in a little? Yeah, this? Just, yeah. Real, just an observation. So th- this so we've heard nationally and in this state about the, the talk about how college is becoming less and less affordable for people. This seems to be, you know, a, a solution to that problem, you know, in many respects, a, a very a highly controversial one. But it's hard for Democrats. It'd be hard for Democrats to really, really oppose this when on one hand they're they're fighting for lower tuition. <clears throat> You know, I understand the concerns from some of the historically uh, black colleges and universities that it might um, cheapen, you know, a diploma from those colleges. But it's, you know, this is a solution to a problem that's gotten national attention in terms of the affordability of college. On the same on the same hand, Republicans are um, promoting these tax cuts for the middle class, the raising of the standard deduction um, for this year. And it just seems like. I don't really, you know, where know where these things are coming from, but they definitely seem to be trying to placate uh, people on the the lower income uh, spectrum in in this state uh, this year. It's an election year. I don't know if that's what it is, or if, or if you know these are just ideas that they've wanted to do for a long time, and now it's just the time they're doing it. I'd really like to delve into that a little bit more. Yeah, I think it it feels to me like uh, imagine if you're on a street. And you've got a fire hose in your house and a house across the street's burning, but you don't really do anything about it. And you've always had the fire hose. And then your neighbor breaks into your house and steals the fire hose and uses it to put out the other person's <laughs> fire. And the neighbor says, the whole neighborhood applauds you and says, well, that's great. Somebody put out the fire. And you initially say, yeah, but they stole my fire hose. And about the next day, you've got to say, well, yeah, but at least they put out the fire. So it's kind of like when you're dealing with issues like this, that how do you, you, you sound a little bit nutty if you say $500 tuition is a bad thing. Yeah. And I a- think that they did the first day and then they may have realized, oh, we just sound, that just sounds wrong. We're it's, Democrats, a, it's a hard thing you know? to oppose. Um, yeah. And especially when the assurance is there that, you know, these schools will still be funded at the same level. It'll just come from, from different places. But uh, certainly it's a big sweeping change and it's got a lot of people worried. And, you know, anytime you have a, something that dramatic uh, in schools that already feel like they've uh, playing second fiddle around the state, then that's a, it's a, it's a worry people are going to have for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we haven't spoken much about HP two this week, but you know, Pat and I do have those discussions at the Insider, and we're nestled right inside, our office is nestled right inside the General Assembly, about the psychological ramifications of having such a large, distracting uh, culture war issue looming over everything. Yeah, I mean, and, any and other if, year we would have been discussing do, this education issue nonstop, I would right. think. But. And, and if you're involved in, in, you know, or if you're the Senate President or the Speaker of the House, and your party has seemingly been involved in getting this wild sort of fog started, you realize that within that you still have a map where you're going to try and go and you know where you're going. And it leaves people, like I say, back to that analogy of the fire hose, you know, oh, Colin, you stole my fire hose, you know. But by day two, I'm going to have to say Colin's a good guy. He put out the fire. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, to wrap up this segment, Dan, you heard uh, encountered one of the, the quirkier elements of the General Assembly this week, one of the, uh, the the busy, crowded things that happen in those little courtyards where different advocacy groups are uh, touting their, their agenda and their, their stuff. But you, you came across a, probably the the most interesting lobbyist we've, we've seen in the legislature did in a you, while. Did you read that lead? That, I, that was the yeah. lead, that it was the most interesting person in the General Assembly this week had no concept of the budget, HB2 or uh, tax changes. It was a robot. An award-winning robot that had been built by students in Wake Forest. Uh, we've got some sound here that we can cut to in a moment. Uh, I'll leave you with the sound. But uh, they were part of an operation called First North Carolina, which is uh, the state representative for this first uh, robotics championships robotic competition that's been going in 19, since 1992 in St. Louis. And that the idea is to promote after-school it's STEM stuff. Uh, it's to get after-school... Um, Science programs cooking all across the state. It's primarily voluntary, and these students go out and raise money. And the robot was named Ford Prefect uh, after the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide oh, okay. to the Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we'll uh, we'll end this segment with a little uh, clip of that sound, and we'll be back in just a moment for our and, final and segment. And the, the looks on people's faces, Colin. Yeah. Uh, especially from one of the students who said that he just wished that there was a the people in the building. Spent more time on math and science. <laughs> oh, I bet, yeah. Some people see too many robots uh, rolling around there as their amazing. typical environmental legislature. So we'll, we'll take a listen to that, and we'll be back in a moment with Headliners of the Week. Okay, so uh, I'm Max Couton, and this is an FRC robot. So that stands for... Max, for... first off, slow you down a little bit. Oh, How sorry. old are you, and where uh, are you from? 16, and I'm from Apex, North Carolina. Fantastic. Uh, so this is... Let first... it rip now. Okay. So this is a FRC robot, which stands for FIRST Robotics Competition. Mm -hmm. And FIRST is for Inspiration and Recognition of Science and Technology. And it's meant to get kids involved in math and science through making robots. So every year, uh, they create a new challenge... So this year it was Stronghold. So what you had to do is you had to cross defenses and also shoot boulders, the gray balls, into a castle and right. get points. And you only have six weeks to build the robot. So these two robots are both uh, six weeks uh, worth of work. And if I understand correctly, did these robots win a prize for creativity? Uh, yeah, they certainly did. do. That's great. Do they have names? Uh, yes, yeah, so this one is called Ford Prefect because uh, we're the hitchhikers based off the book. So Ford right. Prefect from the book. Uh, I don't know the, the name Ford of the... Prefect is, explain a little bit what we're seeing, blue, uh, three, six wheels. Oh yeah, so he has six pneumatic wheels to help get over the defenses and so he doesn't get stuck on any. Uh, and then he also has a arm that goes up and down uh -huh. uh, that collects balls and also raises up and then shoots them. Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Head, 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 headliner of the week. Yes, of course. Thank you, Andy Curlis. That it is indeed time for Headliners of the Week. And we're going to start out this week uh, with Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer. Craig, who's your Headliner of the Week? I'm going to stick uh, in the coal ash theme with uh, Representative Chuck McGrady, Republican from Hendersonville. He is... Uh, an interesting character as a former, he's a Republican. He's also a former national president of the Sierra Club. Uh, so he has an interesting mix of philosophies. But he uh, has single-handedly really been pushing this uh, coal ash bill forward uh, in the face of tremendous opposition by the governor, who said actually quite some weeks ago that he would veto it if he did. But Chuck McGrady has stuck with it. So he's my nominee. 
All right, Chuck McGrady, definitely one of the more interesting figures in the uh, legislature. I'd love to see read more about him uh, sometime in the future for sure. Um, and we're going to go next to um, see who else is ready to go. Uh, Brian, you ready to jump in? Yes, yeah, sure. All right, Brian Anderson from the News and Observer. Uh, Brian, who's your headliner of the week? Okay, well, it's got to go national news for the presidential debate. Possibility of a Trump-Sanders debate. That's got to take the cake. I mean... You have uh, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders both go on Jimmy Kimmel this week. Trump on Wednesday, Sanders on Thursday. And I got to say, the best part was Trump asking if Sanders would do an independent run. This, this is Sanders. I really do appreciate his concern for me. I know that comes straight from his heart. So you see them <laughs> joking. You see them going back and forth. And hopefully we can get a debate in before the Jan- or the June 7th California primaries. It would be a a big one, and it certainly would be an exciting one. Yeah, that would be a it would be a dangerous thing for Hillary Clinton for sure, but it would be a <laughs> incredibly entertaining thing to watch on TV. I think that would probably get better ratings than any of the other uh, debates this entire presidential season combined. You know, Trump's going to be talking about ratings. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's uh, something he's fixated on. All right, uh, thanks, Brian. Um, and uh, who's ready to jump in next? Uh, Pat, you ready? I'm All ready. Right. Pat Gannon of the Insider. Pat, uh, who's your ins- uh, headliner of the week? I'm going to go with an inanimate um, idea, I guess. Uh, short session chaos. Um, this week, it's been pretty pretty slow uh, legislative session, um, and it's really really started to take off this week with with any and all kinds of legislation beginning to move. Regulatory reform legislation that has a lot of controversial pieces in it. Uh, teacher raises. Apodaca's bill about um, reducing tuition at five uh, universities we talked about earlier, uh, the coal ash, coal ash controversy um, getting new life uh, this week, the Senate budget, um, tax changes in the House and Senate, a farm bill, uh, you name it, we, um, we're, we're starting to see it all as this short session hopefully will be short, and they're trying to get everything done really quickly, which there can be good and bad with doing things quickly, but anyway. That's short session chaos. All right, short session chaos as a sort of a thematic uh, headliner of the week and one that seems to be uh, permeating the week and probably next week and probably the week after that. Uh, thanks for that, Pat. And we'll turn lastly to Dan Boylan of The Insider. Uh, Dan, who's your headliner of the week? Uh, thank you, Colin. But to, to mention what Pat said there, time and space compression is the increasing sense of connectivity that seems to be bringing people closer together, even though their distances are the same. That's I don't know that it's bringing anyone closer <laughs> together at this place, though. No, but that's how fried Colin. our brains. That's how fried our brains sometimes get yeah. when the short session kicks into uh, hyperdrive. That probably explains some of your comments on this week's Domecast. That's probably right. I was talking to my cousin, who's a journalist up in Washington, the Washington Times, and he covers uh, State Department and intelligence. And uh, I said to him that it felt like I was in the the Millennial Falcon this week <laughs> on a jump to hyperspace, rattling madness. Anyway, speaking of which, uh, my headliner of the week is Senator Rick Gunn, Republican from Burlington. He Yesterday, uh, Thursday afternoon, he unveiled the uh, Regulatory Reductions Act of 2016, which was a slate of repeals for all sorts of state regulations. Uh, I worked on uh, the repeal for uh, throwing televisions and electronics, basically e-waste, what they define as e-waste, into landfills across the state. There's also a state recycling program that will be dismantled uh he had in there that frogs are you're not allowed to have a certain number of frogs is more than three frogs or something for pets this would chuck turtles that turtles pardon me turtles <laughs> uh, all sorts of other reportings i mean it's Although just oddly a, turtles uh, doesn't seem that much more common than 
frogs. But I know. <laughs> they, they were, oh, I was reading about it, and I got lost reading about snakes. So there are also, you know, all these old ancient kind of things that I think show you a bit of the old uh, the South Carolina, North Carolina border war, the swamps, you know, all these yeah. wild creepers, creatures and crawlers. And uh, Senator Pricey Harrison did call this the Polluter's Gift Act. Representative, Representative Pricey, Pricey Harrison. Yeah, one of the, the big uh, environmentalists in the, in, in the legislature. The, in the House, yeah. So we'll see. That was one of those things that, that popped in towards the uh, – just as, as people took off to go back to their districts for Memorial Day and to go out and campaign. However, I think that you'll be hearing about this for the next, until the session ends for the next yeah. few weeks. Uh, the, the turtle lobby is going to kick in sometime next week and go Senator into overdrive. Senator Rick Gunn, a smooth character. Yeah, all right. Senator Rick Gunn uh, for Headliner of the Week. So we got Rick Gunn uh, for this uh, massive uh, bill that's going to pop up next week. We've got a uh, Short session chaos. We've got the uh, Sanders Trump uh, proposed debate, and we've got Representative Chuck McGrady, the um, Lord of the uh, Coal Ash Bill, um, this week. Um, and, and out of those, I think I'm gonna have to go with short session chaos. You know, this really is uh, getting to be the point in the session where things ramp up. There's a, a sort of a, a slow period at the beginning, and there's a slow period at the end, and you get in the middle, and suddenly there's 800 committee meetings to go to, 800 bills flying around, and it's almost hard to write about all of them and get them all into the paper uh, on their own, uh, and that's something that's probably going to uh, continue for the next few weeks at least, so that's uh, that's where we, we're at. We didn't even talk about motorcycle discrimination. Oh, time. yeah, I know. we we've, <laughs> Someone should have done the discriminated motorcycle um, as, as their headliner of the week. Maybe, maybe that should have been the, the winner, because uh, that was a, a bill that came through this week, which if you uh, read uh, Craig Jarvis's story on Under the Dome, uh, you can find out all about motorcycle. Uh, Dan, Dan's uh, story in the motorcycle insider as well. Motorcycle discrimination. Yeah, we had uh, team coverage of motorcycle discrimination, <laughs> which uh, uh, opponents of HB2 are probably really surprised Many to see. Many people were shocked, and there are yeah. certain people who aren't going to come to the state because of it. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of uh, states pulling out if they don't get the motorcycle discrimination bill passed uh, in, in the legislature in the next few weeks. So uh, before our, our discussion devolves any further, we're going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, thanks for, so much for listening to uh, Domecast, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.